What's up, my friends? Gabe here, and I wanted to put a quick warning on the front of this episode. This one's a little heavier, a little darker, a little tougher than uh, a typical BGDL episode. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about burnout as a designer, as a publisher. We get into things like depression. Uh, we, we touch on suicidal thoughts, and, and it's a lot of heavy, heavy conversation throughout. And so I just wanted to put a, a quick disclaimer just to let you know uh, that that's, that's what's coming, that that's what this episode is about. And if you're a person that is struggling with some mental health things or you're really uh, struggling with depression or burnout or whatever it is, I want to encourage you to get some help, uh, to reach out to someone, uh, someone who's a professional, preferably that it really understands how to handle these types of situations. Uh, but at the very least, reaching out to maybe the Board Game Design Lab community, uh, Kirk Dennison, who's the the guest on this show, during this this episode, he talks about, you know, please reach out to him. He's got resources he'd love to, to talk to you if you're going through a tough time right now. But I want to encourage you mainly to not let yourself become isolated. And don't ever feel like it's just you, that you're going through this by yourself. You're on your own. There's no one else who's dealing with it. No one else who understands. It's not true. It's an absolute lie that a lot of times our brains will, will tell us and it's, it's, it's garbage. And so if you're going through a, a tough time, where you need to, to seek out some counsel or someone to just kind of help you through this challenging uh, time of your life, please reach out. Please don't try to go it alone. But anyway, I'll get into the episode now, and I'm hoping this is one that will spark some good conversation. Uh, tough conversation for sure, but conversation that we need to have as designers and to make sure that we're lifting each other up, that we're encouraging one another, and uh, just doing everything we can to support each other and help each other through, you know, difficult times that we're going through. So thanks for listening, and thanks for being part of the BGDO community. You're awesome. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, well, today's a little bit different of a topic. Today, we're getting real serious. We're talking about something that uh, I think is a very important topic. It's something uh, that, that a lot of people are, are dealing with right now. A lot of people are out there struggling uh, because of the state of the world and just because the state of life in general, even when there's not a pandemic uh, all over. And uh, we're talking about self-care. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about how to deal with burnout as a game designer, as a game publisher, as a creative person. What does it look like to be dealing with some really tough stuff? You know, maybe life is, is thrown lots of curveballs your way. And uh, what does it look like to take care of yourself and for game design to be part of that or not be part of that at all? Maybe game design is leading to, you know, leading into you having some issues. And we're talking to Kirk Dennison from Peacekeeper Games. Kirk, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Gabe, for having me. It's been a little while. <laughs> it has been a while. And a part of that is actually the topic for today. I know you you kind of went through a, a tough period and recently we, we reconnected and we're talking about life and, and games and publishing and you've had a lot of crazy stuff happen, you know, outside of the, the COVID-19 craziness that we all have been dealing with. And uh, I know, you know, self-care and dealing with mental health and, and overcoming burnout, those are some things that you've, uh, some challenges you, you've overcome over the last, you know, few months, year or so. And I'm really excited just to kind of hear your story and the different strategies, different methods you've used 
to overcome these things. I know a lot of people out there listening to this are dealing with some very similar things. Your story is so parallel to so many other people's stories that I, I'm sure that they're dealing with right now. But before we get into kind of the heavy stuff, the deeper stuff, who are you? Tell me kind of, give me an update, you know, since you, you were on the show, I think two years ago. So, you know, people maybe hadn't heard that episode. And so kind of give a quick synopsis about who are you, your game design, your game publishing, all that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, I think I was on the show twice, but the most recent episode would have been probably t- July 2018. So I don't do board game design and creation for a job. It's a hobby. We started off making a board game called Flag Dash. Then we made one called Gearworks. And then our third game was a licensed game from another designer called Rurik Donov Kiev. And then we've been working on an expansion for that game. In my day job, I currently work in IT staffing, running a company to help people find jobs. But my career was in healthcare analytics. A little bit about me. I also have two young boys that I love dearly, a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old, and just blessed to have opportunities with COVID to see them more often than normal. Yeah, definitely. And so as we get into talking about self-care, talking about taking care of yourself, give me your definition. You know, somebody stops you on the street and they say, Kirk, what what do you mean? What is self-care? What does it mean to take care of your your, your mental health, to, to avoid burnout, to overcome burnout? What would you tell them? That's a great question. Self-care, I think, boils down to prioritizing things for yourself. Unfortunately, I do a terrible job with that historically. Is There was something instilled in me, I don't know how this was instilled in me, that I should always be looking out for others before myself. And at one hand, maybe that sounds really nice, but you can't do a good job of taking care of other people if you don't take care of yourself to begin with. So really just trying to make sure that first things are first. So you could look at it simply from the perspective of, are you getting enough nutrition? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you going to the doctor when you need to? Some very basics for self-care, but then you could even go to the perspective of, are you taking time just to be able to decompress when things are hard? Are you taking the time to do leisure activities to give yourself mental rest. And of course, uh, just trying to, you're not trying to monopolize the time that you're never spending with other people, but you can go to an extreme where you just are stretched so thin that you don't do anything to help yourself be in a good mindset to live life properly. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's so easy to get spread way too thin you know, especially if you haven't done a good job of setting rigid boundaries for your life or for your family time or for your job or, you know, whatever it is, it it seems like, you know, there's lots of businesses out there, lots of jobs, careers or whatnot that will take every inch and ounce of your life if you let it. You know, I I know a lot of people are are struggling with that where, especially right now where there is no kind of like, oh, I go to the office and then I go home. It's like, no, I, I wake up and I'm in my office at home because of, you know, dealing with the pandemic. But, you know, also you bring up an interesting thing for for people that maybe have a a strong sense of wanting to do good in the world, wanting to help, wanting to serve. I know you're a man of faith, as am I. And, you know, a lot of people like us, they they live with that whole love your neighbor as yourself mentality. But sometimes it gets easy to forget that you have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like you also have to love yourself in that as well, which means taking care of yourself. And so what would be your advice on maybe setting up those boundaries? Are there any strategies that you've kind of created or come up with that kind of help you uh, with that like work-life balance, work-life, hobby, family balance, all those different things? What would be your advice on those? That's a great question. I've done this all wrong for so many years, but 
in hindsight, one of the bigger things is just being willing to say no. And at the end of the day, it's really easy to want to please everyone and help everyone. But if, as I mentioned before, if you can't take care of yourself, then you're going to not be able long-term to take care of other people and help them long-term. So you really have to be willing to exchange the short-term gains for the long-term gains. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think that's maybe the best point I've ever heard is you just have to get better at saying no. Um, one thing that's really helped me personally is realizing that if I say yes to something, then I'm actually saying no to everything else. Like if I say yes to a project that's going to take me five hours, then I'm saying no to literally everything on the planet other than that one thing during that five hour period. And that means time with my family. That means time for myself. That means time to work on another project, maybe something that would have been more exciting, more interesting, uh, make more money, whatever it is. And so, yeah, saying no is super challenging. Do you have any like advice or do you have any kind of go-tos as far as like sending an email? Because one of the things I feel like we struggle with is it, it kind of, it feels bad to tell people no. You know, you want to help people. They ask you to help out with some thing. And it's like, yeah, you, you want to be that person that comes through for them and, and helps them out. But, you know, honestly, you just need to say no a lot of the time. And so what do you do to say no and maybe don't feel bad about it? So one thing I've actually learned recently, and I haven't done this a whole lot, but I've been using more of the feature where you can delay sending an email until later. And you can even do that in Gmail. Of course, you can do it in desktop applications like Outlook. And you can draft that email that's saying you're not going to be able to do it and set it up to be sent the next day and give yourself a chance to sleep on it. So you've already put your thoughts in order. And if you don't change your mind, that message is going to go out. But if you do think twice about it and you want to reword it, you have the option to go back and edit it. But that way you've already put things in motion that you're going to say no unless something comes up otherwise. Whereas if you don't just go ahead and put the letter in the mail, so to speak, it's really easy to just all of a sudden be sucked in. And when you see that person or you go back to the organization and, and you just can't stomach saying no at that point. So sometimes you just need to pre-write something and hopefully not edit it, but you can if you need to. Gotcha. I really like that idea. I, I love the idea of just delaying. And because maybe when you first received it, you were in a different mind space. You were in a different mood. You know, maybe it was 8 a.m. versus 8 p.m. or 8 p.m. versus 8 a.m. I don't know, you know, depending on kind of how individually your, your your internal clock works. And, you know, I know personally I am much better at uh, 10 o'clock at night than I am at 7 o'clock in the morning. And so, yeah, that's a really uh, good idea there. Another thing, I actually saw a video earlier today from a guy named Donald Miller, who's a famous author and he's written tons of best-selling books. And oh, sure. now he runs runs a marketing company. And he was talking about how he was dealing with the same issue that we're talking about right now and saying no to people and how hard it is and you just feel bad. And and so he found himself feeling bad constantly because because of his jobs, so much going on. He constantly had to say no to people that were asking him to do things. And so he ended up hiring a personal assistant to do all sorts of stuff. But one of the main things he asked this woman to do was say no to people. And so basically she acts as the filter that, you know, emails come through her and anytime somebody needs, you know, they want him to write the forward on their book or, or something like that. She had basically has a template and she just says no for him. So he doesn't have to do it and he doesn't have to feel bad about it. And now I know most people listening to this don't have the money or the, you know, opportunity to hire a personal assistant. But one thing I was thinking about that, uh, that you could do is basically create a, an email address that's kind of like, you know, a, a general one. So instead of it being Gabe at BarrettPublishing.com, it could be information or whatever. You could create a generic one that all the emails come to that one. And then I could send emails back out to people that were kind of generic, but it's not coming from me personally. It, it's coming from 
the company or it's coming from like a kind of a, a separated person or a personal assistant that's not really a personal assistant. Like I'm still sending the email, oh, sure. but, yeah. but it doesn't <laughs> seem like Gabe has told me no. It's like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the assistant, or the company said no. And so it could be a little bit, uh, could come off a little bit better that way. But I was still just kind of thinking through what are some strategies uh, to, to do this effectively? Any other advice, any other ideas on, on ways that people can say no, you know, without kind of dealing with all the baggage? That's a good point. It's, it is really hard, especially if it's someone that you know personally, or even if you've worked with them on a similar capacity before to come back and say no. Sometimes it really does mean being willing to separate from that entity. And when I say entity, it might be some sort of volunteer capacity, or maybe it's uh, some sort of side consulting gig. It might even be a friendship, but you have to be prepared that you saying no might ultimately change the relationship of you with that individual or the organization. But what I found is it usually doesn't. It's just mentally, it feels like it's going to be, you know, a relationship ender. But when I've told people, no, usually it's not been that way. And so it's, I think you just have to tell yourself that it's not the end of the world. <clears throat> it's not the first time they've been told no, but it's, it's really hard obstacle to overcome. So I'm not, I'm not giving a really good tangible step here. Just trying to self speak to myself and maybe to the person listening that it's okay to say no. And, and that person will hopefully be understanding. And if they're not, and if you told them no in a respectful manner, then maybe that's not the best relationship or organization to be working with anyways. Right. That's a great point. Another thing I've done recently is I just postpone their question. And I say, Hey, you know, I am super busy right now. I got a lot going on. Ask me again, three weeks from now, ask me again a month from now. And when, when I think I'm going to have more time in my schedule. And now that does a couple things. One, I am actually looking at the calendar and I'm kind of gauging, okay, right now, super busy. I got a Kickstarter coming up. I got a deadline, whatever it is. So this, this is not a good time for that. But in a month from now, all that stuff will be over. I'll have a little more free time. And so I hopefully will be be able to do it then. But it also actually turns into uh, all, quite often, people don't follow back up. I'll say, hey, follow back up with me in three weeks and ask me again. And they don't. And so they are in actually taking on the no. They they said no themselves. I just said, give me a minute. And so it works out that way as well. So that might be a strategy people could do as well. Just kind of put the ball back in their court and, uh, and see, if they, see if they pass it back, you know, a month from now. I do like that. And I do that inadvertently sometimes. The other thing, and I should say, this isn't necessarily the best thing to do, but I would say if you're just desperate to be able to say no, but you don't know how to, ultimately you can just choose not to respond. And this might come across as cold or hard, but we'll talk about this more. If you get to the point where you're just shot mentally and you're not doing well and you got to take care of yourself, sometimes, honestly, the best thing to do is just to sweep it under a rug. And if they really need something, they'll reach out again, but sometimes they won't. And the second time they reach out, sometimes it is easier to say no to it. it. It might sound like it's a mean thing, but honestly, if you don't have the mental capacity to respond in a good way to say no, sometimes just not saying anything will communicate that message and do it for you. So that's not necessarily the, like if you're in the receiving end of it, not that that necessarily feels the best, but just speaking to the person who might not know how to do it, inaction is a fine response when you need to. Agreed. I definitely agree. As long as it's not like something important, like, hey, I haven't received my Kickstarter game yet. Where is it? Yeah, you might want to respond to that. You know, those kinds of things, customer service. Uh, but yeah, like I've reached right. out to so many people about coming on this this, this podcast and uh, they just never responded. And I don't think anything of it. I just assume that they're busy. I assume maybe the email went to their junk folder and they never saw it. And oftentimes I am sending out a whole bunch 
of requests in a row. Like I try to, to do them in bulk as opposed to doing one every now and then. I'll, I'll uh, ask 10 designers at the same time and say, hey, do you want to come on the show? And I honestly forget a lot of times who got back to me and who I sent one and, and who didn't respond. A lot of times I forget. And so, yeah, I think just letting it go can be a, a really good strategy. Right. And then well. in two or four weeks, when the few people do reach back out, then you can choose how to respond to those people at that point. What I've had to do actually at a couple points in life is I had to take my entire email box and move it into a separate folder and just never look at that email folder again. And you might say that sounds ridiculous. And I don't always do the best job of managing emails, but my rationale was to take care of myself health wise. I had to separate myself from the thousands of emails of backlog. And if people really needed something, they would email me again and then I would deal with it. And it's a drastic measure to try to get some breathing space when you are at the point of disaster otherwise. I think it's a good idea though. And I've done the same thing where I just mark all as red. You know, you've got the little, that's the thing. I've got a Mac and it's got that little red number on my email icon down at the bottom. And it, it bothers me like for that not to be at zero. And there have been a couple of times where it's been over a hundred and it's like, you know what? I, I'm just going to mark all as red and we're just going to clean the slate and we're going to start over. And if somebody really needed to get to me, then they can send me another email because that little number down there bothers me and it's, it's weighing me down emotionally. And so, yeah. Also another thing I do is I, I unsubscribe to basically everything. Like I only oh, want yeah. things coming into my email that I really want to look at or read or watch or people I'm really interested in. And so I unsubscribe just constantly to different things that maybe I, I signed up for an email list to get some kind of random, you know, PDF or guide or, or something like that. That's another thing, just kind of eliminating all the different things that come through, whether it's uh, groups that you're in or email lists or whatever. I think that's another good strategy. Just kind of help your, your mental health. For sure. Yeah, I've had to try to do some email cleanup in that regard. Well, cool, man. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears just a little bit and let's uh, get into more of your personal story. Like I said in the intro, I think you have gone through some things that a lot of people can relate to. And so just kind of, I think maybe two years ago, was about around the time that you kind of started going through a, a bit of a tough time. You had a lot of transitions, you had a lot of things going on at work and at home and with board games and just everywhere. And so walk me through what was going on. And we'll just kind of see where the conversation takes us. We'll just see where the nuggets of wisdom and, and ideas and advice come out of this, but just kind of tell me your, your personal, your story. Sure. Thank you. So I got to share a little bit just about my background, much to my wife's chagrin. I'm always looking for something to do to keep me busy prior to board games. It was this or that never a dull moment. I've been asked a couple of times in my life, are you ever bored? Nope. Never been bored for a minute. I'm always the type of person that's just thinking of the next project I want to work on. I'm always making Excel spreadsheets that do ridiculous things that nobody ever needs, but it's just, I'm going to do it. Or teaching myself how to program in different languages, starting businesses, consulting, reviewing resumes and giving professional advice to other people. And this is all prior to board games. And then started stock trading with the not quite day trading, but swing trading and this, that, or the other, and then decided one day, oh, I was going to make a board game because there wasn't a good capture the flag board game. That was April, 2015. And then that was the all consuming project that I was working on. It was just a project. It was fun. We launched a Kickstarter in March, 2016, delivered it in July that year, sold out of our measly 1000 unit print run in November, 2016. And Surprisingly, the company wanted to license that game from us, and we licensed Flagdash to Ultra Pro. And then at that point, I was like, oh, we we made a game. That was fun. It was truly fun to that point, and people liked the game. 
it wasn't the best game in the world. It wasn't the best product, but it was fun. We did it from start to finish, and people seemed to enjoy it. And then started having an idea for a second game. January, February 2017, I came up with the idea for a second game. Gearworks came up rather quickly, and then we launched a Kickstarter that November and December, delivered it in July 2018. But I should take a step back and say that shortly after the idea of coming up with Gearworks, this notion crept into my mind that, hey, we've made one game. We licensed it to a bigger entity. We're making a second game. Why can't we try to see if this could just snowball into something bigger? And about that time, we also saw a game by a friend, Stan Kordonsky, that I fell in love with called, at the time, it was called The Grand Prince. And there was this awesome mechanic in that game. It was a big box game in the making. And I told him it was too big for me to do, but I just wanted to play test it a bunch. And after playtesting it seven times in a week, I said, I got to publish this game. And realized that that game as the successor to our second game was really the underpinning of one game, two game that might be a run at making a job of it. Now I didn't know if it could, but there was just the seed planted of, Hey, I could, I could make this a job. And at the same time, of course, I'm working a day, a day job all this time, but that kicked off about a two year window where I proceeded to work 30 to 40 hours a week on board games while working 35 to 40 hours a week on my day job. At the beginning, that was fine. I had one kid at home. My wife was staying home with him, and we talked about it, and we're on the same page of it's kind of like pursuing an MBA or other post-secondary education. You look at it as a two-year window, and that's what we called it. It was our two-year window to see if this could become a full-time business. And I was dedicating mornings, evenings, weekends to making this work. And, and we had basically an agreement that this was a two-year window just to see if we could make it. And if not, I would wind it down and reprioritize family time because I didn't view working 80 hours a week as the ideal long-term. So with that in mind, there was energy to kind of get the ball rolling, working on two projects at once. And then there was a third project in the mix that we ultimately had to, to rescind or not continue publishing because I didn't have bandwidth for it. But anyways, so I was running with two projects parallel. For many of you listening, if you're running with five or ten projects like many of you are, wow, I, I can't even imagine that. Just doing three projects for me was a, a lot. But anyways, it might be because I'm all in the details and everything and like to see all the layers in Photoshop documents and look at all the spreadsheets. Other people might do a better job of delegating every task out. Pause you for a second. So anyways, we had this two-year window we were going to work towards. I was in a pretty good spot mentally there at that juncture, or so I thought. But what I didn't realize is that me working on these games on the side was slowly starting to mask my dissatisfaction with my day job. I couldn't have told you that, but I derived a lot of enjoyment from making games. And the biggest reason was I was doing a lot of different things I had mapped it out, 43 different job responsibilities associated with running a board game publishing business, whether it was a full-time or just a part-time thing. There were 43 type of job tasks. In my day job, I probably did two or three type of job tasks. Maybe that's fairly typical for someone in a job, but most people aren't doing everything in the company unless you're running a small company. But anyways, I had this dissatisfaction that was growing there. I did well in my job. I was good at my career. I was decently paid and Working in a reputable company, working in health insurance, that's a separate story, but definitely not a super glamorous industry or anything, but I i was a programmer and I did well at that work, but I, I didn't 
truly in, enjoyed enough to want to stay at it long term. And, and this board games are just masking that. And oftentimes, if I'm real about things with people, I, I realize there are underlying issues that just don't come out into the light until later. And you can look back and trace the pieces. But this is where that started to sink in. Anyways, so fast forward, I had this big, long up ramp to a Kickstarter in July of 2018. July was that was probably the busiest month of my life. We delivered the Kickstarter for Gearworks. That was a couple thousand games we delivered. That campaign was 43, 45,000, somewhere in there. And then we launched our Kickstarter for Rurik, which broke 170,000 on Kickstarter. It was a big month of delivering and launching another campaign on top of working that month. I got probably the least amount of sleep in my life during that month. And historically, I get five to six hours of sleep a night. I've done this for about 18 years. So it's not like it's a, a new thing for me to get limited sleep, but I was probably getting three hours of sleep a night for that entire month, which is not very much for me. But anyway, so that was a really crazy month. And I had known that there was kind of a magic number in my mind that if we hit something like 300,000 on the campaign, that might've been the signal that we'd have enough money set aside that we could make a switch to working board games full time. It didn't happen. We hit the 172, which was awesome, really successful campaign, but it wasn't enough to take care of my family. So I it's an expensive game. Making board games is expensive. So numbers on Kickstarter campaigns are not reflective of the money you make. And especially if you look at it as two solid years worth of working full-time work on something, it it paid me minimum wage, if that. Actually, probably less than minimum wage for the two years. Now, that was double dipping. Of course, I was working day job plus working an entire second full-time job at the side on making board games. But then the Kickstarter campaign ended on July 31st and everything changed in August of 2018. And this is where life really unraveled and came off the rails. I I probably should have seen the warning signs and been paying attention. And I was not doing self-care. I was not taking care of myself. And I didn't have my priorities in line. And everything came off the rails. I went to Gen Con right after the Kickstarter campaign, the beginning of August 2018. And I knew there was just a sinking thought in my mind that I knew something was about to go down, but I couldn't quite put a finger on it. I just kind of went through the motions there that year. I was super exhausted, but there was the energy of post-campaign. People were really excited. We ran demos there and I had help there, but I just just kind of did what I needed to do and talk with a few friends and, and left. And driving home, <clears throat> it really started to hit me that that was the end of the road, that I wasn't going to be making a transition to making board games full-time. And I had to go back to my day job the next day. And the dread at which I had for going back to my day job, I'd never felt that type of dread before. And that, when I look back at it, was when I finally realized that making board games is what had been masking my dissatisfaction with my career to that point. And I had not connected the dots. There was that sorrow of, I, I can't make it. I have to go back to my day job. And my wife was expecting our second kid in October. So the thought was, okay, well, I could quit my job and just try to find something else. But it's like, that's not responsible. I've got three mouths to feed at home here and my wife's not working. That's pretty irresponsible. So I felt trapped to have to work a career I didn't want to work, saddened that I couldn't work the career I wanted to work, and trapped to tons and tons of work to do with manufacturing and then the fulfillment of our project I just fulfilled. So then... I knew that there were going to be many months of full-time work on this side to finish fulfilling the project that was no longer going to be a joy to work on. So then that dread just built up. It was like, uh-oh, now I've got it. I have to do this thing. 
and this thing is going to be painful because it's the sorrow of not being able to do it while also working the job that I don't want to work. And it was just chaotic in my mind. So I'm dealing with this stuff through my mind and not even sure what to do with this, dealing with both sorrow and frustration and just uncertainty in my career. It might sound silly to say this, but I'm, I've learned that there's strength in being real with your emotions. A lot, a lot of tears, crying. My wife was super supportive. I just sit there on the couch at night, just bawling and crying and just full grown person, just sad over the loss of something. And just that death of an idea that I could make that into a career. And that was really, really hard thing. And my wife was so patient and just was there for me. I mean, eventually you hope you don't stay that way forever, but it was helpful to have someone be supportive there. But regardless, halfway through the month of August, so things were bad mentally and I wasn't in a good spot. And then the flood happened. There was a catastrophic flood in my town of Madison, Wisconsin, unlike we've ever had before, that literally destroyed my work building and destroyed my car. Coincidentally, I was driving to buy a new car for our family because we were having another kid coming in a couple months. The day that the flood happened, we left my car in the parking lot at work, not knowing that we were going to get a catastrophic 19 inches of water uh, that would fall in a day. And not even in a day, a much shorter period of time than that. So we were driving home from buying a new vehicle, not still oblivious to the fact that this flood was happening. And that's raining a lot. Get home and then realize, uh-oh, we heard the news and my car was underwater completely. And the whole first floor where I worked was destroyed at work. So overnight, I was transitioned along with 150 employees to work from home. And that was terrible. So a lot of you can probably relate to this COVID happened and almost overnight, most people were working from home or out of work. So we were displaced with no prior warning at all that we were going to be working from home. And my home was not set up to work from home. I was working in my bedroom at home, depressed, not wanting to do my job, just feeling stuck and hopeless in life. And I'd wake up and my desk is right next to my bed and I'd go to sleep from work. And it was just it was bad. And depression just consumed me. October 2018, my second child was born. And that was honestly, probably the worst month of my life. And it sounds it's so horrible to say this, but I was not a present father. I took a month off for paternity leave. It was a good excuse to be able to take time off from work. Because I could, it was a protected class. They couldn't tell me no, I couldn't take time off. I took it as unpaid time. But I I needed that time for me mentally, and my wife, my poor wife, took care of our one son and our new second child with me just being not present at all for that month. Like I could not stand the sound of crying. It would just set me off mentally where I could not respond. I would shut down and just mentally not be able to respond to anything. It was just terrible, and I knew that I wasn't being present, and I should be excited and helping support my wife and be there for my son. Oh man, this was definitely the the low point in October. And I'd basically kicked the can on any board game work that I needed to do as much as I could, even through this. I'd thought that through this month off, I'd be able to get caught up in board game stuff. But little did I know, I needed that whole month just to try to try to regain some semblance of sanity. But no, I, I didn't. I didn't know how to take care of myself. My wife could barely take care of our two boys. And so she, I just was floundering and it was 
it was really, really bad. I refused to open up to other people about what I was dealing with. I just sheltered in my own mind, working from home with a new baby at the house. It was super easy to have excuses for why I couldn't go anywhere, why I was too busy to talk to people, superficial on all my interactions. And no one would be any the wiser of why I was ignoring everyone because, oh, they're, they just got a baby at home, always working from home. It's no big deal. But that was really disastrous there. Um, and I lingered in that post baby being born, just dead for November through the holidays. And I had a father-in-law call me out over Thanksgiving. It's like, I was just disappearing. We went to like some sort of Thanksgiving get together and there's lots of family there. It should be a happy time. I just chose to excuse myself from everything and just try to sleep whenever I could. And, he called me out. He's like, what's going on, man? And I didn't want to talk about it, but that was the first time it really realized that, okay, I had a real problem and it was bigger than just me. And I, it was impacting other people and it was very visible to other people that didn't solve the problem, but I realized that, all right, I, I've got to try to do something that still lingered through the rest of the December holidays and then into January. So I went August, I went five months, August, September, October, November, five months without dealing with the source of dissatisfaction, feeling trapped in my job, not sure what to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do in my career. And I knew I didn't want to make this board game that I needed to make And this. If you're one of the backers for work, uh, sorry that this might come across the wrong way, but it was just, it was just a bad spot for me mentally. And I was doing the things I needed to do on the side, but it was just it was a lot of hours, but it was really, really hard. And finally, in January of 2019, I started the soul searching process for a new career, a new job. It took me until March, though, where I finally started taking more steps where I uh, had a friend, a good friend in the game industry, actually, Keith Mateka, that we both acknowledged a need to exercise. And so we started, we got a gym membership and started working out together. And just simple things like that of just setting some sort of normal routine again, I was working from home, was really some of the better first steps that I could take towards getting out of this rut. Ultimately, I started a new job in March, but it wasn't like a job I really wanted. I just needed to quit from my other job, and I got another job in the industry that just fell in my lap. But I didn't really want to do it, but it was I needed to make money. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And was, But the best step I probably took was that I, I did post on Facebook asking for people who knew me in life, if they would just give me suggestions on what I should do in life or if they had ideas for jobs. And some people were kind enough to entertain a discussion with me. And I started reaching out some former colleagues and connections or friends of a friend to explore a whole bunch of different careers. And at the same time, then a, a former manager of mine reached out and offered me a job in May and it just coincided with, I think there was one week prior to that, maybe it was two weeks prior to that, I was talking with a friend who just had a real frank assessment. He said, all right, this has been 10 months since you've identified being in this rut of a depression. And this is one of the first people I'd opened up to about this. And he kind of called me out on it, maybe in February, and just confronted me and said, do what's going on. Seems like you're in the doldrums. Can I do anything to help you? Anyway, so he followed up. He, he was very kind. He didn't push the issue too much then, but he asked again in May and said, all right, are you going to ever do anything or is this just going to be reality for you? And it realized, I was like, this has almost been a year of my life and I'm still not taking care of myself and I'm not being present enough with my family and I'm not taking care of you know what needs to be taken care of and like what I need mentally to get out of this. 
and I think it was a week or two weeks after that that I got offered this other job. So there was just like a slew of positive infusion right there where I, I saw the light, like that friend challenged me and I realized, am I just going to sit here and languish forever? Am I finally going to do something? And so like there's just was amount of time that needed to set in there. And then a, a lifeline was handed to me from this uh former manager to step into another industry and help run a company. Now I'm running an IT staffing company. I've done it for over a year now. And I started that job in June, 2019. So I mentioned that kind of, I'm a year past this now, but I, I'd say I was firmly stuck in major depression for a solid 10 months there. And there was even a few months of residual, just trying to deal with some of the, I guess, tremors after that. That's a really long story there. I, if you're not familiar with the ins and outs of making board games, there are several things why board games in particular probably contributed to this more than maybe some other hobbies or activities. You're working with factories and logistic partners around the world. So if you're making other sorts of widgets, whatever that might be, or technology or wearables, you might also have this sort of scenario. But to save your cycle time of getting projects done, you often stay up until you get the first email from your partners in China, maybe at 12 midnight or 1 a.m. If you can respond right away, you can save yourself a day back and forth of communication. So regularly, I was staying up until 3 a.m. around the clock, starting my day job at 9 a.m. That's not really a good long-term sustainable thing. And I've been doing that for two years. So that does factor into things. I also had let the weight of expectation of others drive my deadlines, which is all something that I could have controlled, but I didn't do a good job of managing things where I let, I wanted to please the backers and I wanted to please these people I was working with and just let those deadlines drive me where I just set up all these, uh, I don't know if they were unrealistic, but I made difficult deadlines that drove me to work longer and harder to get it done. And if I was just doing this for fun or didn't have thousands of orders around the world to fulfill, maybe it wouldn't have driven things so much. So I mentioned all that just to say that board games, you could probably have these exact same sort of scenario that happens in a different sort of industry or space, but board games did have some unique factors that contributed to that. I'm going to pause here for a moment though, because I have talked a moment. <laughs> wow. Okay. So a lot going on. First of all, I want to tell you thank you for sharing uh, the story, your story. Um, it's not easy to say a lot of those things. It's not easy to admit to certain things, you know, that, that we all, if we're being honest, we all struggle with, we all deal with. Uh, and so first of all, I just really appreciate you being willing to open up and share all that. But I want to I want to highlight a few things that you you mentioned. One, that you identified 43 different jobs, different things going on with a board game company. And it's insane. And I, I think maybe it actually might even be more. You could probably add some more in there uh, and maybe get that number up to a nice round 50 if, if we wanted to. And I think that's something so important for people to realize. You know, I know a lot of people that are in the Facebook community for the Board Game Design Lab or in the community in general or listen to the show. You know, you've got this idea that you, you want to do this as your job. You want to go full time. You want to start a company. You want to become a designer and that be your main source of income, whatever. It's, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. I mean, it, there's a million things that have to be done. And Life changes. Things change all of a sudden when it's no longer your hobby. And now you have these expectations and now you have, you know, 3000 Kickstarter backers that are expecting you to deliver a thing by a certain time. And, you know, all of a sudden things are, are very, very different. I think it's important for people to, to realize that and be aware, you know, if you don't guard your sleep, 
it, it's going to be taken away from you. I've been in the exact same situation, Kirk, of being up until 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m., going back and forth with the manufacturer, just trying to get a problem solved, trying to get uh, a question answered about, you know, something. You, they sent me a picture and it's, it's wrong. It's like, okay, well, we need to change this. This is, this is messed up and we're on a deadline. And so let me just stay up the whole night and I'll just go to work the next day and we'll figure out sleep <laughs> the next night. It's not healthy. And when you do it long term, fatigue really, really destroys everything about you. It's, it's oh, amazing. Yeah. All the, the science that's coming out and talking about sleep and how important it is for literally everything else in your entire life. And so any, anything that's robbing you of sleep is going to really just dis- destroy you. Uh, and you also bring up another really good point. I've had so many conversations with people that were in a similar situation that you were in, that they were looking at their lives and thinking, you know, I'm not good with this. This is not, you know, life as I had hoped, life as I had planned. And they're really trying to figure out what, what to do and what not to do. And, and maybe they're kind of clinging to different things. And my favorite question to ask them, just point blank, is what do you want? What do you, what do you want? Like really define what you want right now. And then what does it look like? to start taking steps to achieve that thing. And, and yeah, it's going to be hard, but you know, I'm here and I've, I've, you've got people around you. I think surrounding yourself with people that will hold you accountable, that will call you out on your foolishness, but will also be understanding. You know, I grew up, both my parents have dealt with just deep depression. And as a kid, I didn't understand it. Like, it's like, why, why are you sad? I don't understand. Be happy. You know, just choose to be happy. But it doesn't work that way. It's, it's not some choice necessarily that you're like, all right, I'm just going to be sad and lay in bed all day today. And that sounds like a good day to me. Like, that's not how it works. And, you know, a lot of science over the last 20 years has come out and, and showing us where depression comes from and all the different things that right. cause it. And I think it's so important just to be honest with yourself, but also have people in your life that will be honest with you and, and love you at the same time and, and just kind of hold you accountable, but just be kind, be generous in doing it. And my best friend, he weighed 350 pounds the entire time I knew him. Um, we, we met each other, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. And he was a very, very large person. Uh, not very tall, maybe six foot, six one, but 350 pounds. And he talked all the time about, you know, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to do this exercise routine. I'm going to lose weight and all these things. He talked about a lot. And I remember one day we were having, we were eating lunch together and we were at some restaurant and, um, I just looked at him and I, I just stared at him. And I said, when are you actually going to do any of that? And he's like, what? Like, what? Like, can we, like, give me a day. Give me a time when you're actually going to start doing those things you talk about a lot and actually losing the weight. And at first he got offended and he was like, he was mad that I would bring it up. And I had the audacity to say that and you know how, you know, that he would do it when he felt like it, when he won on his terms. All, but then it, I guess it rung home. Uh, and the, the next day he went out and he got DDP yoga and bought the whole set and he threw all the crap out of his fridge in, into the trash. And he went out into the grocery store and, and bought a bunch of healthy food and got some cookbooks on how to cook healthy food. And, and that was the day that he started changing his life. And now, as I saw him a few weeks ago when I was in the States, and he's down to about 220 pounds. He's lost 130 pounds. He looks good. He's healthy. He walks every oh, wow. day. He, I mean, he can, he can walk circles around me. Like he is such in such better shape than I am. And, and he looks great. But it, it took somebody in his life loving him and supporting him and just saying, hey, what, what do you want? Like, when are you actually going to do this? And I think that's nothing to have in your life, whether it's your spouse or a, a co-designer or just somebody that you trust. And so I think there's so many things that go into this. What, what other advice would you have to somebody who's listening to this and they're like, man, you're, you're talking to me. That, that is the situation I'm in. I hate my job. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like, what would you tell them right now? Sure. So I actually have eight things that are they're kind of sequential. You have to work through other people may have a different formula. 
if I can I take a step back though and say something else just to kind of go back and something. So you, you did talk about the family history and that does play a big deal into things. And I should say that it's probably helpful to ask your parents, did any of my relatives struggle with fill in the blank? You can ask about anxiety, mental health, depression, mental breakdown, any of these things. It's a wide spectrum of things and they present in some similar ways, but some different ways. And if you don't realize that that's something that you might be pre disposition to that is tricky so for example i didn't know this in advance but i have a family history of uh, major depression mental breakdowns and things of that nature for example my grandfather was hospitalized for an entire year where he couldn't talk because he had a mental breakdown and this was when my dad was in his formative growing up years and i did not know this for most of my life until sometime in the midst of i think i think i learned it in the midst of this actually no I did have a near mental breakdown in May of 2012. That's when I learned that. But so I, I personally have a history of family history of mental breakdowns and major depression. I had an almost mental breakdown myself from a different career in the past. And I didn't identify the fact that I deal with major depression until this incident, but I didn't even know it was depression until probably January of 2019, after I've been dealing with five months or six months, I didn't even have a label for it. So I did want to just kind of identify a few symptoms. So if you're really struggling with something and you don't know what to call it, I'm not trying to say it's going to make everything better, but sometimes at least for me, if I can identify this is what I'm up against, that's helpful to know what the battle is. My dad just called me out. He said, he listed, he said, are you dealing with depression? And I said, no, I don't think so. And he listed out a, a list of things and said, well, to me, this is what depression looks like. And some of those that stuck with me were no interest in things I once enjoyed, limited desire to interact with friends and family, hiding whenever you can, abandoning discipline and routines. And those things stuck with me. And I realized this is me on every point. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I guess this is depression. And it was eye opening there because I've been dealing with this for five or six months and didn't know what to put on it. I just thought I was... It was just me, and I'm not trying to excuse it away, but once I had an identification of what it was, almost like if you could diagnose um, some sort of sickness, and then you're like, oh, I need the right medication to deal with that, then it's like, oh, this is my fight. All right, now I finally can put a target on it, and it's not just me being messed up in my head. There's actually, like, this is the manifestation of it in my life. So I, I'm tangenting. Sorry, taking a tangent back to that because I had that in my notes I wanted to talk about. So you said recommendations, though, unless you had anything you wanted to add or before well, you bring up, up. You bring up a really good point, and this is something I tell people all the time. You can't change what you don't notice or you can't change what you don't see. And so if you have a blind spot about whatever it is you're dealing with mentally, physically, whatever it is, then it's very difficult to overcome it. And so you, you make a great point. You, you need to work to identify, and whether that means going to see you know a professional that can diagnose you mentally, physically, whatever it is, and they can say, hey, here's the symptoms. Let's run some tests. This is what you have. Or just talking to a family member, getting into the family history, whatever it is. But taking an active role in identifying and, and figuring out what it is. And then, like, like you said, it gets so much, not necessarily better overnight, but at least you have a, a name for it. At least you can figure out, okay, well, this is what people typically do to overcome that thing, as opposed to just going, I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it, it gives you like something to focus on. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's almost like if you <laughs> have a nameless enemy you're shooting at in a war, and you have no idea what they look like, or it, 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 
the imagery hopefully comes across there. But so you bring up a good point of knowing thyself. And that's the first recommendation I had. I would not have been able to tell you prior to this that I struggled with major depression. And it was something that I probably could have identified if I had been willing to dig into some prior cracks in the foundation, so to speak, from earlier in life, different things I went through that were difficult. I look back at it and yes, I was depressed, but I didn't have that label. I thought I was just being emotional or just uh, not in the right mindset, but really it, it was a battle with depression. I just didn't know how to put a label on it. So trying to identify either potential cracks in the foundation of, of your just mental well-being or the potential for cracks in there. So like if you think about the times that are really hard and when you are low, because not every day is an, a, a great day, even though you want it to be, are there things that get you down and, and realize, do you have a propensity for that? And if you do, it's helpful then to confide in others and say, hey, friend, hey, brother, or if you're at a good com good level of conversation with your parents, you could even do that. Just say, I have this struggle. I, I have um, some weak spots that I'm going to slip into these depressive states sometimes and I need help. I always had a fallacy of perceiving myself as weak if I owned up to things that were really hard. And just starting to tell people, though, is so liberating because then at that point, the elephant's no longer an elephant in the room. It's There's an acknowledgement of, wow, I didn't know that. Appreciate you telling me. And almost a gratitude that they said, thanks for letting me in and knowing something that's so deep and personal. So you need to tell at least one person. And I didn't tell anybody except for my wife for a while. At least, I mean, I don't even think I really told her as much as she just picked up on it and then she ask good questions and I had to talk about it, but I didn't want to tell anyone else for a long time. But hopefully over time, as you tell one person, maybe eventually you'll be confident enough to tell another person. And by the time you've told maybe a third person might be a good sign that you are at a point where you can fight against it. And the third person for me was probably when I reached out for actual professional counseling help, which I was stubborn to do for a while. My wife was just encouraging me, encouraging me, and I didn't want to do it. And I would say there is great value in that. I didn't do it for a long time, but the things that I did gain from that were very helpful. And I actually did it all remotely, digitally, <laughs> plays so similar to COVID nowadays. So if you are needing some help, there's some really great services. Teladoc is the app that I use at connecting with someone. And we had weekly sessions and it was helpful to be able to verbalize what I was going through and be given some practical tips to fight against it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also important, like you're, like you're talking about, to have these kind of mirror moments when you look yourself in the eyes in the mirror and you just kind of examine yourself and know, like you said, know thyself. And what are what are the things that you know are causing arguments between me and my, my, my spouse or me and my kids or, or me and my friends? Or what are the things that I'm running from? I can't remember uh, which philosopher said it, but he talked about, you know, going into your soul. And he said, that which you most need to find will be found in the place you least want to look, you know, and talking about diving into the kind of dark shadows of your your soul and your heart and, and trying to light those places up and, and figure out who are you and, and how do you need to change and how do you need to become different and to become more of who you could be, right? I remember when I was a teenager, my mom one day, it was just me and her at the time, you know, my, my parents were, were separated. Uh, and she came home from work and she, we were talking and she's like, you know, we got all these bills and I need some help. And so you're, you need to get a job. And what she meant to say was, Gabe, I got you a job because <laughs> she had worked out his deal with uh, a guy she worked with, Mr. Rick. And uh, Mr. Rick ran a birthday party company 
where he would you know, do bouncy castles at, at kids' birthday parties. And so I started working with Mr. Rick, trying to make a little extra money to help pay for you know the light bill and the water bill and stuff like that. And you know, the job was fine for a while because I was just going and setting up these bouncy castles. But then the job started to change. And uh, Mr. Rick had me doing all sorts of, of, of things at these parties that like were little gimmicky things that, that people could pay for. So for instance, for a while, I was dressing up like Blue from Blue's Clues and um, making balloon animals dressed like this giant blue dog. And it was this oh, sure. fleece costume in Alabama heat. And so it's like 115 degrees outside and I'm just sweating to death. And you can't take the head off in front of the kids because it freaks them out. And they, they're like, oh, you killed him. You know, whatever. They, they lose their minds. And so like, it's just this hateful thing. And then he ended up, he got this, Mr. Rick got this uh, Spider-Man outfit. And at first I was excited. I was like, okay, cool. This is much better than being blue from Blue's Clues. But the, the costume didn't fit. And I'm, I'm like 15 at the time. And the costume was like really baggy in some spots. Like the, the mask was kind of baggy and looked kind of awkward, especially from different angles. And it was kind of baggy in the arms. But like the wrists were really tight and the ankles were really tight. And the crotch area was super tight, which is exactly what you want as a 15-year-old boy. <laughs> so... <laughs> I would go to these birthday parties and just disappoint children, man, because they think you're Spider-Man because they're six years old and they're dumb. And they're like, go climb the wall or, you know, go pick up a car or whatever. And I'm like, Spider-Man's sick today. Would you like a balloon animal? You know, and it's just this like hateful job. And I'll go to, yeah. go to these parties and all these like really pretty girls from my high school. It's like their cousin's birthday and they're just there for the family. And I'm like, please don't recognize me. Please, I'm going to change my voice. You know, like, and like, oh man. And so I remember one time I was at this birthday party for a kid and it was at McDonald's, which is like one of the most redneck things in the world. <laughs> but anyway, uh, at this birthday <laughs> party. And I remember it was just, just hateful. And I went to the bathroom at one point, I took the mask off and I'm just looking at myself in the mirror at McDonald's. And I'm just like, what are you doing with your life? Like, what is going on? And that was the kind of a turning point. Like, I'm, I'm going to go do something else. And um, I, I quit working at that job and ended up working at a shoe store. And, you know, things evolved and changed. But it was such an interesting moment to go, you know what? Is this what you want? And having that kind of eye to eye with myself moment and going, all right, let's, what do I got to do to change this? What do I need to do that's different? And honestly, that's led years later into thinking, okay, I want to work for myself. I want to run my own business. I, I want to do the things. I want to have the hours that I want to have. And so it's so good to have those moments where you just identify things that are lacking, things that are different from how you want them to be. And then what does it look like to, to make a change? And sometimes, it, you know, it takes a while. Like it's not some magical thing. Like you're saying, sometimes it takes a good long while to kind of get into the, the mind space to be able to make a big change. But oh, for sure. Yeah. But, but what else? Let's keep going. That was one of my things that you're, you're going to need time and you can't expect it to be a quick thing. But some real tangible things are you should identify what triggers are. I also learned through this process, and actually only learned this last month, that I struggle with PTSD from some things earlier in life. And I, different people might have things that trigger different mental health spells. And for me, for example, it was screaming kids and things being dropped on the ground and especially when they broke. So having two little kids in the house, things fall on the ground all the time and break. And screaming kids in the house was all the time when you have a newborn and another kid who wants attention when the newborn is getting all the attention. So they, they complicated things, but I didn't know those are triggers. So what you need to do is a determine safe places and activities. And sometimes a safe place is just in your mind, but you need to be able to engage your various senses. And this is the number one thing I learned from counseling. 
you need to have a whole arsenal of ways to protect yourself mentally. You need to be able to engage your senses and smell and auditory ways and touching things and seeing things. And you kind of like, maybe you like smelling candles or going for a run or reading comics or whatever the case might be. You need a whole laundry list of these things because when you're depressed, you're not always going to want to do the one thing. And you just need basically ways that when you notice things are going to be tough, you can go into the safe place, do this safe activity to take care of yourself. So you don't slip into a deeper rut. Right. And that's such a, such a good point is, is really thinking through what have I been through that could be contributing to what I'm going through now and identifying those things and then trying to work through, all right, what, is, what does it look like to overcome these things or at least learn to live with them? But, um, but maybe talking to people around you that care about you and love you and saying, Hey, this is something I deal with. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out because I feel like most people are going to be understanding it and trying to you know, not do the things that trigger you. Uh, I'm reminded of a young man that uh, I was became good friends with. Uh, is this group of young guys back when I was in the States uh, in Atlanta and I was working with this church and he was a phenomenal young man, but he was just a little bit off. And there were certain times he would just like, things would just set him off. And he was a big guy. He was a strong athlete, you know, football linebacker kind of guy. And I mean, he would, just, I mean, and if he punched you in the face, you were not waking up for a while. And sometimes he would just lose it. And we never could figure out like what in the world, like why in the world does sometimes you, you just get set off and you have these moments and these violent acts of rage and these things and just trying to work with him. And uh, I remember we went on a mission trip down to Puerto Rico and we were doing the, these things going out in the community and serving and painting and helping people. And every night we'd come back and we kind of have time together as a group. And just, we were all, as all guys, it's just an all guy mission trip, which is really great. Just, you know, as, as men coming together and we could kind of be vulnerable and not, you know, these young guys not feeling like they had to put on or, or pretend or be something in front of women or anything like that. But there was one night we were having this really just open, vulnerable conversation. And um, th- those of us who were, were leaders, we were just kind of sharing some things that we had done that we weren't proud of and things that we had struggled with and just trying to help those, those young, young men, they were 17, 18 years old and just trying to help them understand, you know, we've all been through stuff. We're all dealing with stuff. It's not just you at, at 18 dealing with these things. Like I dealt with those things too. And, you know, just trying to find some common ground. And this young guy, he started opening up and uh, telling us about some of the things in his past. And one of the things he talked about was when he was four or five years old, he uh, was with his grandfather and, they were just kind of hanging out and all of a sudden his, his grandfather says, Hey, let's get in the car. And so they got in the car and they drove a little bit and pulled up to a street corner and his grandfather pulled out a handgun and shot a few people. Like this guy literally watched his grandfather murder some people on the street and then drive away. Oh no. And it was like, Oh, well, no wonder, you know, and all of a sudden these, these things start clicking into place. And you, you think back over all the different things that, that he had been through and seen and, and experienced. And you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. And it's, but it was then that we'd start identifying something and then we could start figuring out how to get him some more help and get him into counseling and all these different things. But I had to identify the things that were triggering these responses. And of course, if you deal with something like that, when you're four or five years old, you're going to carry that weight with you, you know? And, and so I think it's so important for, for people just to find people they trust, open up and, uh, and, and just be honest about, about what's going on. For sure. Yeah, I should throw it out there that don't be embarrassed to take medications as needed, especially when they're prescribed to you by licensed people. I had, I did have to start taking some medications to help too. I don't want medications to be a crutch, but I do recognize they have a, a place for many people. And, and just like going to counseling, don't be embarrassed about those things. You need to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's a really good point. Another thing I want to want to bring up, this is more personal with me, and I want to kind of bring things back to game design and, and game publishing and whatnot. You know, over, let's see, last summer, Going into the summer, I was in going to the States, 
and working with you know ministries and, and serving the homeless and doing doing that whole thing. And I had these phenomenal young women that were working for me last year, these these interns with the organization that I, that I work for. And they were just incredible. And, and they're the kind of women that, that I want my daughters to turn out like. You know what I mean? Like You look at them and you're like, wow, I hope my little girl turns out 10% of what you turn out like. And so I made a point to have a conversation with each of them over the summer and just really pick their brain and say, you know, how did you become you? Like what, what turned you into this person that I really admire, that you, you're thinking straight, you've got a plan for your life, you, you've got these things you're wanting to accomplish, you're driven, you're focused, you love people, you serve well, all these things. And I'm so made a point to really kind of talk to all of them and, and figure out like, how do I help my little girls become more like them? And what I found was the same consistent thing with each of those young women was dad was around. And now all these women, they came from different backgrounds, different family situations, different parts of the country, different financial situations, all those, like everything was different except one main commonality. And that was dad was very, very active in my life. And I had to be very honest with myself in that moment and realize that game design, game publishing, this podcast, the whole game design thing had really made me kind of what you were talking about earlier, Kirk, had really made me not present the way I needed to be for my little girls to help them become the young women that, that I hope that they'll, that they'll become. And so I had to just be real honest with myself and have kind of uh, come to Jesus meeting with myself sure. and then with my wife. And I had to apologize to my, my children and say, I am so sorry. I realize now that I have not been around. I've not taken the time. I have not made a, a, a priority to go on dates with you and, and, and let's go get something to eat. Let's hang out, you know, daddy daughter time that uh, I've allowed game design and, and game publishing and games in general to suck up way too much of my time. And so I need to make a change if I want you to become who I think you have it into in you to, to become as young women. And I had to change, you know, I had to take less time doing these things. It's another reason uh, I'm trying to kind of pivot and make this game design, not game design, but like the BGDL more full time. So I have more boundaries. It's not, okay, I go to my day job and then I come home at five o'clock and then from five until midnight, I'm doing game stuff. It's like, well, that's, dad's not around when that happens. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're struggling with something similar, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family, the people you love and care about and they care about you, just to be honest. And then start, start figuring out, okay, what does it look like to create boundaries and, and create priorities and find some hills to die on and say, okay, this is who I'm going to be. This is who I'm going to help my family to be, my friends, whatever. And again, just be open and honest and willing to change. Yeah, I, I completely resonate with that. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. Uh, you only have one life to live. And do you want to be just grinding, doing two things at once? Or can you create space that makes it a healthy endeavor for you, whatever that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Now, balance is an interesting thing because it's it's very rarely 50-50. You know, I, I talk about the, the ballerina analogy a lot, where if you look at a ballerina from afar, then you it seems like she's perfectly balanced up on that tippy toe. You're like, wow, just incredible balance. But if you get close, you realize, no, she's making constant adjustments so she doesn't fall over. You know, so sometimes balance is 60-40, sometimes it's 90-10. And, but it's, it's the point of finding balance and constantly reassessing your life and going, okay, you know what? This this month I'm running a Kickstarter, and so I'm just not going to be as present like I normally am. But how can I how can I switch things up and, and change my hours around? And, and maybe I right. do take a week off from my job, and I work my normal day job hours on the Kickstarter, and then I'm still at home from five o'clock until eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whenever the kids go to bed, and we still have for family sure. time. And that's you know I'm gonna whatever it looks like, it's gonna look different for everybody. But I think the biggest thing is being intentional 
about time and putting game design and putting game publishing and putting things in their proper place. That way you are taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your family. But Kurt, any, anything else, man, you know, we're coming up on an hour right now. Any, anything else as far as advice, any wisdom, any little nuggets of, of anything you want to just kind of share with people? Yeah. Keep it real simple for a tangible thing. Give yourself, if you're struggling with this, a single tangible goal. It doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it is that you want to limit your soda intake or your alcohol intake per week and you want to reduce it by, you know, whatever small measure each week. Give yourself a really tangible stepping stone so you can see yourself making progress. For me, it also meant that I was willing to talk to at least one person about it. For me later, it was I was going to start exercising because I hadn't exercised in like six months, things like that. So you can pick really simple goals. Don't focus on figuring it out overnight. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. I think it's Jordan Peterson who talks a lot about this. And, and he says, if you're having a hard time getting things done, you need to aim lower and just keep aiming lower until you get to a point where it's like, okay, I can do that. And he says, sometimes it might mean I'm just going to make my bed. That's what I'm just going to make my bed today. And that's going to be a win. And we'll just figure it out from there and just aim as low as you possibly can. Agreed. And yeah. And because hopefully you make your bed and you go, you know, I can, I could probably clean up the rest of this room and I could probably go wash some clothes and I could probably clean this bathroom. And I could probably, whatever it is, but you start as small as you possibly can. You know, I'm a person that, that believes that people who are faithful with, with small things, you know, bigger things come. And, and so maybe just, yeah, aim lower, right? Maybe, maybe whatever it looks like, just aim as low as you possibly can and, and get a win out of it. For sure. Yeah. And I, I'd be amiss to mention that as a Christian, this was a really difficult struggle to deal with saying, how could I go through something like this, even as a Christian? Well, God loves me. How can I go through such mental angst and just question everything in life? Well, you know what? <laughs> this is not a perfect world and we have problems. All people do. I've got lots of problems and don't think that, um, just because you have a certain persuasion as far as religion or not, that it's going to make you any less susceptible to these type of things and be taking similar steps. But know that uh, through these things, whether you're religious or not, that when you come out on the other side of it, you will have something to offer to others. And that's why I wanted to come on here and talk about this is that I don't see people talk about mental health struggles very often. I think that's what made it harder. I didn't talk about this as a whole other episode. Earlier in life, I also dealt with multiple issues of um, – suicidal thoughts. And um, thankfully, I never took my life. But this was earlier in life. And you could say, well, Kirk, you've you dealt with major depression. You've had PTSD. You had a near mental breakdown. You've had suicidal tendencies. Like, you should have seen these things coming. And it's just like, life's so complex. Sometimes you're just easy to just brush things aside and not want to deal with them properly. But it's just, if this is for you, I'd love to be a resource for you to talk to you on the other side of this and just help you in any way you're welcome to reach out to me on Facebook, Kirk Dennison, or you could send me an email. Simplest to remember my personal email, kirk.dennison at gmail.com. Happy to jump on a phone with you or even just exchange a couple text messages or Facebook messages. I'd love to be a resource and just hear you and whatever you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from something you, you said earlier, uh, you, you don't get bored. You're the kind of guy that's always busy. You're always moving from one project to the next. I am in the exact same situation. I'm always looking, all right, what's the next project? What's the next thing I can work on? But the downside of that is it's real easy to ignore a lot of the other things and just kind of move on to the next project and never assess any of the, the self-care things I'm avoiding. And I know a lot of other people are like that too. So if you're one of those people that you're just always busy and you're always moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, maybe take a step back, maybe just really go on vacation and leave the phone at home, <laughs> like whatever that looks like okay. and really start to assess things. Be bored. 
let yourself be bored. That's one of the biggest <laughs> challenges in my life. Just let myself sit on the back porch and drink some sweet tea and look out over the backyard and leave the phone inside and just sit and not think about anything other than how delicious this sweet tea is. And it's so hard for me to do that, but it's so important and, and vital. And so I agree. Anyway, well, Kirk, man, this is, this has been, it's heavy, but I think it's important uh, for people to, to hear. Hopefully this episode will be a resource to people. Um, you know, I know a lot of folks dealing with, with the, the coronavirus situation that are going through very similar thing. You know, statistics uh, are up in a lot of really, troubling ways uh, as far as depression, as far as suicide, as far as domestic abuse, all these different things. And so I'm hoping that people listening to this will, will find some comfort, find some, uh, they'll, they'll, hopefully they'll think, oh, it's not just me. And I think that's such a, no, a lie that people believe. It's a lie. That is a lie. I thought it was that way for me at all these things in life. And no, lots of people go through this and that's why we need to speak up about it and be willing to share the hard stories. Yeah, for sure. Well, again, really appreciate coming on the show uh to switch gears just a little bit you do have a game on kickstarter right now so give me the quick elevator pitch for that one it's the expansion for our game rickadon of kiev it's a an expansion that adds a few new modules to the game and introduces what some people were asking for more it's a euro style realm building game this expansion happens to add some new ways you can add extra decisions to warfare more things you can build and add some more fun elements to the game I hope people will really enjoy it. Awesome. Well, Kirk, again, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your story. Uh, I'm so glad that you've been able to work through a lot of these things. You're, you're kind of on the other side. You're not out of the woods yet. You know, you still got a lot of things going on right. just like the rest of us, but um, I'm glad you're back in the game, so to speak, and, and doing it in a much healthier way. And uh, yeah, good luck with uh, the expansion to work on, on Kickstarter and uh, everything else you got going on right now. Thank you. And again, happy to talk with anyone. Love to be a resource. And if it's not me, please do reach out to someone else. I'm sure you've got a lot of people that would love to be a good resource and be a listening ear if you do need some support. Definitely. Well, thanks for your time, Gabe. Glad to be on the show and look forward to talking with you soon. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?